Hi there, I'm Liz Riley, and this is the Accountancy Ireland Influence Leadership Conference podcast. Coming up today, recently we've been hearing a lot about the future of work, but I think it's safe to say that the future is now, even as cheesy as that might sound. Blockchain, automation, and artificial intelligence have revolutionized the profession. So what does that mean for Chartered Accountants Ireland members? Well, they can find out this year at the Influence Leadership Conference on Friday, 10th of May at Lyrath Estate. With me today to discuss these changes are Kingsley Akins, founder and CEO of the Networking Institute, Loretta Dignam, non-executive director and CEO and founder of the Menopause Hub, and David W. Duffy, author and CEO of the Governance Company. All three will be speaking at the Influence Leadership conference this year. Thank you guys for being here today. To start off, why don't we start, the conference is called the Influence Leadership Conference. So what does influence actually mean individually to each one of you? And what will you be speaking about at this year's conference? Well, I'm Kingsley, so I'll kick off because I'm nearest to you. But uh, <laughs> basically, um, you know, what I'm going to be speaking about is about the world of networking and why networking is critically important uh, now more than ever in a world of great disruption and change. I listened to the head of Mercedes-Benz last week giving a speech and he said his change is happening now faster than ever before in history and never will be as slow again. So uh, I think that gives you a sense of kind of where we're at. We're only in the foothills of this change. And there's a realization, I think, that success in the past is no guarantee of success in the future and the strategies that got us here won't get us there. So everybody's in that mix um, and it's all been driven by by the sorts of words you described there, which could be summed up in one word, which is disruption. There you go. Um, so, so I'd be speaking about why networking is more important now than ever and why people need to have their own personal strategies for it. Organizations, companies need to have strategies for it. So I'm sure we'll get out into that a little bit more detail if you want to ask the others their um, thoughts. Loretta and David, you guys are doing a panel together called NED Talks, which I think is the most fantastic name. Um, what will you guys be discussing? Um, well, uh, I'm Loretta Dignam. So um, on the panel, I'd be talking about my journey to becoming an ed. And um, I'm a ministerial appointment to the board of the Abbey Theatre. And um, I've done one term of office, if you like, of three years. And now I'm in my second term. And I'd be really talking about, you know, what that journey was like and what it involves um, and what being an ed is. A non-executive yeah, director. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So... Um, David Duffy, founder of the Governance Company and uh, the initiator of NED Talks. The whole ethos of NED Talks is trying to make uh, the world of governance uh, a bit more exciting, uh, a bit more stimulating and a bit of fun. So that's what we're trying to do down in Kilkenny. Um, the objective of this particular uh, production is to um, talk through the journeys of two uh, individuals, uh, Loretta and, and another colleague, but also to try and understand um, the influence uh, that NED should have on the boards of tomorrow. We will be issuing a piece of research in May. Uh, and some of that research is telling us that um, directors of the future uh, will need to be a lot more forthright. They'll probably need to be a lot more curious and they'll need to be ethical. Um, and many other things besides, but we can explore that. <laughs> well, that actually is a good lead into my next question. What do you think is the difference between leadership now and leadership then? Um, how has the change leadership environment really modified how we work or how boards work? Well, leadership, um, I think it comes in, in many different guises. Um, you know, the board is is a is the leader in the organization. The chair just happens to be the boss of the board. And the board uh, is really... Um, I suppose, mandated to influence culture in the organization, uh, ethics, values, and all those good things. But leadership um, 
can, is not just about who's in charge, it's actually how they use that position uh, to influence people. So in large organizations, the influence tends to become because they're at the top of the organization and that's where some of their power or influence might come from. I think today's world, um, people aren't necessarily in the same place every day. They mightn't even have an office. That's true. Um, they might operate from a cafe somewhere, but they could equally be running a very large, you know, connected organization and working in a very networked world with networked partners. So in our organization, we subcontract everything. We don't employ anybody. But, but uh, that's our business model for the moment. It might change as we scale up. So being a leader, and I suppose I am a leader, it's actually trying to work effectively through others. And to do that, I think you need very strong ethics, uh, good moral authority, and the ability to empower people. And uh, do you think that's any different, though, than how it was before? I think it's more complex because you're dealing with the digital world. Yeah. And that, uh, that has to be managed, too. And David, if I could jump in there, um, I mean, I think the old traditional structure, the hierarchical structure, the vertical structure we had for centuries virtually, nearly mm. quite militaristic, the leader is hero in the corner office and everybody else reporting up through strata, I think that's gone. And I think we're living in a world now where it's not about vertical, it's about horizontal, and it's about teams, and it's about teams of teams. And I think picking up on what Dave's saying is then you've got to develop these, these skills and these abilities to operate and cooperate and collaborate and connect that I think you need now more than ever before. Because that whole structure is gone. Yeah, Kingsley, I would agree with you because um, business has been influenced, if you listen to a lot of the terminology, by the military. So the hierarchy, strategic, you know, battlegrounds, etc., etc. And um, to my mind, in the past, it was uh, very much... Um, uh, influence was more the influence leadership was more about power and control and therefore you know if you're at the top of the food chain you have power and control over the people beneath you and you can manipulate and do all sorts of things and we've seen a ton of examples um, in the business world in the uh, the religious world in you know every institution going um, where you've seen a breakdown in that and I think um, the whole thing about influence to me is all about your ability to motivate and inspire others no matter where you are in that hierarchy um, and how you can influence their, their thinking, their behaviour, their attitudes and then obviously ultimately their actions. Um, and I think at the end of the day um, the biggest thing um, to help you with influence is trust. Yeah. So um, you need to build trust and that's one of the things in this world where people aren't physically together and the hierarchy is different. It's about it's about trust. And I think one of the biggest things going forward and one of the things that I would uh, see as central to my role as a non-exec director is this whole piece around integrity and, you know, doing what's right and doing the right thing. And I, I think that no matter whether it's the past or the future or whatever, and no matter what happens in terms of AI and whatever, um, that doing the right thing and, um, you know, doing what's right are things that will stand the test of time. And I think, can I just jump in there actually on, on what, you're, what you're saying there? Because I think that trust thing is such, so central to, to everything. And Edelman, who are the, you know, global communications company, the biggest in the world, do their annual trust survey. It comes out during Davos and it came out this year and said that trust in four institutions, government, non-profits, media and business is at its lowest level in recorded history. I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. You know, surprise, yeah. surprise. No surprise, surprise. But if you overlay that with another piece of research, which Gallup did, which said that in their global survey, 85% of people at work are disengaged at work. That only 10% of people are engaged at work. So what we're looking at is a distrustful, cynical, skeptical, disengaged community out there. I mean, how awful is that? Because yeah. there's a massive challenge for all of us in that. I think a key task for uh, leaders and 
non-exec directors is being able to cope with a much more ambiguous world um, and with more, much more ambiguous situations which can unfold quite quickly, as Kingsley has referred to. So you go into a boardroom, you probably have people with certain you know, functional expertise like lawyers, accountants and the like, and they're important. They're very important to make sure that the governance works and you're compliant and all the rest of it. But I think the real value in any uh, non-exec director is having the ability to um, look at the sea and not the waves. People tend to look at the waves in boardrooms, but those people who add real value, who real kind of perspectives are looking at the sea. And that's much more difficult. And it's actually hard to prepare for that. So you need need to have kind of a a big picture view of life. You need to be um, connected, not just with people, but with um, reading a lot. What's going on in the world? What do millennials think? What do 10-year-olds think? You have to be engaged. What do people from India think? Mm. Because the reality is we have a diverse world. I have an Indian uh, guy working with me. He thinks very differently, but it's hugely complimentary because of that diversity. Yeah, actually, you know, some interesting stats is that, uh, you know, 12% of the United States population were not born in the United States. In Ireland, it's 17%. In Dublin, it's 25%. But of the working age population of Dublin, which includes Dave's colleague, it's 33%. So we now live in an extraordinary That's diverse. incredible. Well, it is amazing. Yeah. And not many people, it comes as a shock to many people. It but does, he, here's yeah. the brutal question. I, with my accent, yes. I'm even still Funny surprised. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the brutal question. Does your network as an individual and as an organization reflect the society in which you live mm. and the economy in which you operate? Now, all the research by the great names, the Baines, the McKinsey's, is say that if you as an organization do not reflect those two dynamics, you underperform. Mm. So I think that's a very fascinating challenge that we face right now in Ireland. I was with an accountancy company, one of the one of the major ones the other day, talking to a guy, and he's a team of a hundred and something people, and about forty percent of them are from the Philippines living here in Dublin, working. Uh, it's really quite remarkable what's going on. So I think we got we got to be aware of this, react to it, and include in some way. This is a very different society that we're living in now than it was when Dave and I were growing up. And just to say, to, to, to lead into that as well, is that um, uh, that's why there's been this whole focus on gender equality, because mm. if you take it at its very bald level, is that 50% or 49 or 51 or whatever the number is of the Irish population or the world population is female. And that was why actually involving females as a, as a first stage is really critical, both in terms of, you know, um, management, um, senior leadership, board, uh, board level. And I think um, in the Abbey Theatre, we had a major push on um, gender equality, uh, which led out for the yes. total sector. But um, what we need to do now is the next level, which is this whole diversity. So it's beyond gender, which is reflecting exactly what you're talking about. And it includes, you know, international race. It includes um, sexual orientation. It includes so many different things, able, disabled, etc. And I have to say, I, in the world that I feel I operate on, it's very homogenous. Maybe more shame me. Just to pick up on the diversity uh, issue, a report we're bringing out in May um, will focus on, of course, uh, gender and ethnicity as um, components of uh, diversity. But it goes further than that. It's mm-hmm. actually bringing people who can think and act differently, no matter what they are, whether they're male, female or whatever, but also a huge focus on emotional and social intelligence. Yeah. Um, that has been lacking in the past. You, know, you get certain stereotypes appearing in a boardroom because that's that's where they come from. They, they're probably incredibly well educated, but they may not have a view of the world and they may not have a point of view. So I think coming into the boardroom in the future, um, we're going to see, I think, 
very different people, I hope, because we need them. But also what came out of the, this research is that the terms for non-exec directors in the future, the survey tells us, will decrease because that's healthy. So it won't be nine or uh, 12 years. It'll be right. lesser because you want fresh air in the boardroom all the time. You won't get fresh air if you're the same people there all the time. It'll get stale and smelly. I would, you, say, <laughs> I, well, I would say proper order, to be honest, because, um, you know, how can, uh, on the board of the Abbey Theatre, we have uh, our roles change every three years. So we have a three-year term and you can only serve a max of two three-year terms. And so our board is constantly changing. The dynamic is constantly changing, which is really, really refreshing. So in that arena, there has been no resistance to this change. No, not or not, not even not possible to change. Just no exist, uh, resistance to this practice. No, absolutely. Has there been any resistance, say, in um, corporate boardrooms? Do you think there's been a resistance to a change, or are people now realizing that there has been a disruption and that they have to go with it? Um, not yet. Not I, th- yet. I think it's coming. Yeah. And th- this research also says that okay, um, overall, um, NEDs will will, will uh, serve uh, shorter terms. But actually, it's the younger NEDs think that rather than the older ones. Right. And it's women think that rather than men. Interesting. So that's kind of an interesting kind of <laughs> subtext to that overall general trend. So the trend. people who are in in the positions of power don't think so. Don't think it needs to change. That's very interesting. That's new. That's. I suppose the other uh, dimension of this is that. Uh, you know, you want um, Neds or uh, the chairs or even executive directors in the boardroom to bring new ideas, but they shouldn't be there long enough to bring in old ideas. So yeah. trying to get that kind of cut off is really important. And it might be six years, nine at the outside, in my view. Do you know, Google did a very interesting study some years ago called Project Oxygen, and they decided to study globally what makes a leader? What are the characteristics mm. of a leader in Google? Because Google was started by Larry Page and Sergey Brin, who are brilliant mathematicians yeah. and scientists, and they only hired people in that came from that field, from STEM. Um, that was because you needed to be brilliant in these phase areas to be successful. But this research showed that you actually needed six characteristics to be a leader in Google, and the sixth and least important was technical ability. Right. All the others were actually what we would call soft skills, mm. the ability to work in groups, to be a good listener, to collaborate, to be visionary, to help and be a mentor to other people, all of these soft areas. So Google actually have fundamentally shifted their, their, their strategies for hiring people because they discovered that some of the most innovative and most brilliant ideas came from their B minus people, not their A plus people. Right. Uh, and so now they're being much more diverse. So back to Dave's notion about diversity and diversity of thinking and diversity of approach and diversity of background led to greater innovation. The other thing I think is fascinating to watch, which is creeping in now, we've all had such an immersion in diversity and inclusion, but it's the word belonging. Yeah. And there's a whole movement in America called DIBS, yeah. D-I-B, diversity, inclusion and belonging. I mean, you can have great diversity and you can have inclusion of all sorts of people, but do they feel they belong? Yeah. And I think that's the next frontier. Can we break that on uh, pass and get people having a great sense of belonging to the organization in which they operate? That's an interesting I one. think another uh, factor in influencing is um, being yourself. So that's being authentic. Yeah. So you see a lot of people who move from probably a follower position to a leadership position and suddenly they change. And that's the worst thing they can do. Certainly they need to figure out how to be a leader, but if they certainly have a personality change in the process, people say, well, gosh, he's, he or she's changed. But they need to be authentic. And I think if you're authentic, uh, it helps. And you look people in the white of the eyes and they believe what you say. If you're not being yourself, you're trying to be somebody else, I think 
the the influence you're going to have is going to be a lot less. So being authentic, I think, is absolutely critical. Because if you're authentic, I think people will trust you more. You Actually, now you've all brought up trust, and trust has a lot to do with our working connections. How do you think the changes that are uh, going on, how have they affected our working relationships that we have with one another, within uh, what should be our networks, and within our organizations? I think that um, we've got to be careful of, of, a, of a drift towards becoming totally technologically mm. driven. Yeah. So I teach in my work, um, you have to be high tech and high touch. And here's the problem. You know, and I think it's an issue with millennials coming yeah. through, is that they've lost uh, things like empathy as being an important element. Do of, you think so? I do think so, yeah. I think people now talk rather than speak, if you see what I mean. They'll, mm. they'll connect electronically. I hear it all the time around town from leaders of companies saying, I can't get our people to actually get up and walk down and talk to somebody, to speak to somebody, to actually communicate with them, to pick up the phone. Now, we all know that picking up the phone to somebody is a multiple more impressive and more influential than yes. actually sending somebody a text. Like that's a that's a really interesting challenge coming through. We now have Generation Z who are who are totally digital native. They're brought brought up with mm-hmm. this. And I have mm-hmm. a couple of myself. I watch them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, and I'm not knocking them at one level, but I am saying that they have to watch out. Here, here, I did a bit of work out in the National University of Singapore last year the number one university in Asia, number 20 in the world. And they have set up a centre in the university. And the centre is called the Centre for Future Ready Graduates because what they are seeing is these these brilliant kids who've been, I say, foie grad education by their parents, stuffed into them in school. They can play violin underwater. They're fantastic. They're fantastic. (laughs) Cougar parents. Brilliant kids. And they come out out of this university and they are fantastic. They're deductive and analytical and just geniuses and totally crap at purpose meaning empathy relationships and networking and Singapore which is a place that kind of looks around corners they see this as an issue yeah, and they think they need to intervene right. with this centre it's fascinating there's a website called the Centre for Future Ready Graduates well, fascinating to see what they're doing on the trust issue I was at the launch of the Irish Banking Culture Board on Monday morning oh yeah um, which was interesting and um, the uh, chair of the new board uh, uh, Justice Hedigan um, used the phrase, what needs to happen in, not just in Irish banking, but generally is, you know, we need to trust more. But as the Russian proverb goes, trust but verify. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you got to earn trust. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you just don't suddenly yeah. trust somebody unless, you know, it's an introduction by somebody you trust, you know, uh, very closely. Um, but trust but verify. You can probably see that in Russia. I'm not quite sure. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's a cultural I, I, thing. I, I can remember <laughs> seeing that in Reagan. Didn't he say that as well? Sweet, speak yeah. softly yeah. and carry a big stick. Yeah. 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 So he yeah. was feeding back the Russian proverb yeah. to, uh, I think, Gorbachev yeah. at the time. The other thing I was going to talk about was that um, I think leaders need to um, drive the culture and the values of an organisation. Of course, yeah. And I think um, nowadays for people to feel part of that belonging is that they need to, you know, see that it's 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 a reality and not just words. Um, one of the businesses I worked with um, was Mars and way back in the 80s. So they were a very progressive company. They had open plan and whatever when other businesses were still doing civil service and whatnot for their senior managers. But they had five values and the five values were actually you know, everybody was taught them. They were on the board and on the walls and whatever in posters. But the reality was they actually lived them. And you could call out 
other members and whether they're senior or the same level or, or you know, more junior. And you could call them out around the values. And I felt that that made the organisation, it, it really um, gave it a heart and a culture. And to me, that differentiated it in terms of attracting talent, retaining talent and so on. Um, and I think a lot of organisations kind of struggle with that. Mm. I don't, they don't even think it's important. No, I think a lot of, I mean, we hear all the time that our organizations have a really hard time attracting talent and then retaining it. There obviously is a big turnover of talent um, uh, in in Ireland at the very least um, and in this particular profession because there it's it's a coveted job or there are coveted people to have mm. for in, in a lot of spaces to fill. So to keep people takes a... Um, uh, I would say probably a, a, a special kind of, not a special kind of organization, but an organization that thinks more about, like David said, overall skills, yeah. skills across a board, sometimes soft skills, um, than just technical skill. I think people um, join organizations uh, and all the research, research says is because of their purpose. Yeah. They believe in their vision. Uh, they like the mandate. Uh uh, they're not necessarily there for the money. Do you think that has changed in recent years? Did you think it used to be about the money, but now that people are coming up? And millennials are 38, by the way, so they're yeah. not young any longer. No. Um, so do you think that has changed possibly with that generation? Well, it, it depends on big your mortgages, I guess. Um, yeah. <laughs> if you have a mortgage. But I think people uh, like rent. to join organizations which they believe in the mission. Yeah. And if they believe in the mission, they'll do well. Uh, now the mission might be it could be non-profit or for profit it doesn't really matter mm. but they're generally joined for the mission and stay for the mission um, people don't join organisations they they join groups of people they want to work with and they don't leave organisations they leave people they don't want to work with yeah they leave managers yeah, yeah. 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 So that's and I would reality. say that wasn't in the past it would have been you know get a job and job for life and that yeah. was the, the previous generation or whatever but nowadays there's such choice there's um, people can reinvent themselves. They can start off with one degree and then tra- retrain to something else. And they don't see themselves as having just one career, if you like. It'll be a series of careers. And I think with that, that, you know, as employers and as organisations, you really do have to find your USP and differentiate yourself against other people. You Which know? is a big challenge for boards. So if you're trying to recruit uh, non-exec directors who bring the fresh air into the room, um, you find many people who are extremely good at what they do mm. but they've worked for the same organisation for 25 years uh, and these be you know good brands so if you're trying to bring diversity into a boardroom be the male, female or whatever um, trying to counterbalance that with people who reinvent themselves every five years like myself <laughs> uh, um, because that's what I enjoy doing I hate mm. doing the same thing all the time because uh, I like starting businesses. Uh, I need somebody else to keep the trains running on time. Right. <laughs> <But> <laughs> I just want to find the best train in the world and work with it and get get, get them to run on time. So, mm. yeah. I think there's an, another dynamic going on here, which is that because um, I remember seeing a line the other day that said, "Future leadership of your organisation will not be by unknown people," mm. and that's true, you know. And so as I think there's a transition point that people have to realize as they progress through their career that the technical skills they needed to get their job in the mm. first place, important mm. as they are, become less important because everybody's got them and you can't compete on what everybody's got and relationships become more important. And I think sometimes people miss that transition point mm. and then they expect that they're going to get promoted, promoted up this ladder, which gets pretty pretty steep as you get up towards the top, and they don't realize that actually a whole series of other dynamics come into play. There's a wonderful writer called Harvey Coleman in America, 
He said, you know, your career progression depends 10% on how well you do your job, which sounds outrageous. Surely it's 90%. He says, no. He says, to get on the ladder, you've got to be really good and everybody's good. This is not about getting on the ladder. It's about going up the ladder. Mm. To go up the ladder, you have to work on your reputation and your image, what other people think about you, what they say about you. And then you have to work on the third thing, which he says is 60%, and that's exposure. You've got to be seen. You've, who's seen you in action? Who's seen you speak? Who's seen you at a board meeting? Who's seen you do stuff? Now, a lot of people miss those those I markers. I say, yes, they do. And I would say that's really difficult. For uh, There's some people, when you look at them, they can show themselves really easily. They um, they There's exposure. They know how to play themselves up, and they're not doing it crassly. And you look at them, and you go, oh, I can never, ever be like that. And I would say that is most people who have a difficulty showing themselves. And show- so is there any advice that you give to people um, to do that? for themselves or is it just get out there and do it well I let me tell you a piece of advice I wouldn't give which is <laughs> okay. what my parents told me which was they gave me the piece of advice they had everybody got in my time which is work hard keep your head down De- keep yeah. out of trouble yeah. I right? want to say that's what everyone's parents tell <laughs> that's, that's the worst piece yeah. of bullshit advice any kid's Absolutely. ever been given so <laughs> so so this notion that you just you're going to go into a corner you're going to get, get do noticed. your job and you're going to do a brilliant job yeah. And then you look around, you see some other people getting promoted, and you are why is that? I'm mm. better than them. So um, I think you do have to work on those other areas, which is about your personal reputation. I hate the word personal brand, but in a sense, it's oh, what it says. Like but it. it's about your reputation. Yeah. You know? and, and how do you build a reputation? What do you become a go-to person for? Now, this is really interesting because at least a third to a half in any company are technically introverts. Yeah. But here's what I find really interesting. Introverts are better at networking than extroverts. And, and why is that? They do it with decency, authenticity, integrity. They're good listeners. They ask questions and they listen, which is the number one skill. And the extrovert is that sleazy pearly in the bar. Oh, excuse me. Late at night, flicking out business cards. You are, you are, you are insulting two extroverts in the room. I'm not sure where you two are. But we're, we're ambiverts. Ambiverts. Oh, yeah, that's it. Don't define yourself. I, th- I think that's a good point because... Uh, I th- a lot has to do, I think, family background and where you come from as to where you want to go, where you want to be pointed. Um, so, you know, I have a son who went to an Instagram conference in Miami recently, you know. I'd never heard of that before. But he went there for three days to meet all Instagrammers who make a living out of being on Instagram. Influencers. Yes. Absolutely. A different type of influencer. Yeah. There's been a but, seismic change in what yeah. he does now. You know, uh, BM, before Miami, versus post-Miami. <laughs> And, and he's that's attracted business. Uh, now he has a certain confidence about him. I mean, all my yeah. children do. I'm sure that's the <laughs> case. Around the around the still. Still. But but not the coffee. confidence that I had when I was 25. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Radically yeah. different. It was a bit about keep your head down, qualifying something, and get a job. Yeah. If I go back to the question you're asking, you know, what sort of advice <laughs> would you give to those people? And I think one of the things is that um, uh, is that um, another thing required for leadership is courage. Mm. And I think realistically, you know, it's about courage. It's about, you know, wanting to ask difficult questions. It's about calling a halt if things are going in the wrong direction. If something isn't working, it's like, you know, let's say this is not working, folks. Um, And I think courage is one of the things. So therefore, it requires you to step outside your comfort zone Mm. and try it on and see how it goes. And, you know, but if you do want to get up the ladder, you do have to do that. You have to push yourself. And if it doesn't come naturally, then you have to 
have courage. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's a thing we call it stranger danger. <laughs> what, what do we what do we teach our kids when yeah. we're young? Stay away Don't from talk strangers, to strangers. Yeah. But actually, statistically, our kids are at more danger from friends and family than they are from strangers. Only three percent of children, if they're kidnapped, are kidnapped by strangers. Yeah, I actually yeah. looked this up recently. Oh, how interesting! <laughs> yeah. So, so wow. you know, so we got to get over that thing. I always say your name tag at a at a conference is a permission device to talk to strangers. But you won't build diversity in your network unless you find a way of talking yeah. to strangers. The other thing I'd overlay on Loretta's point about courage, I think. I think luck plays a role. But the question is now, can you make luck happen for you? Or is luck mm. just a lightning mm. bolt comes out of the sky you can't control? I actually think you can, I call it funnels of serendipity. You can actually increase the possibility, probably, of luck happening for you. But it doesn't happen. Luck doesn't happen lying in bed or sitting at your desk. Luck happens, as Loretta says, when you're in motion, when you're doing mm. stuff, when you're breaking your t- routines, and you're, you actually go and speak to people and connect with people. So that sometimes goes against what people are naturally kind of uh, strong at but if you push yourself out push those parameters a little bit you'd just be amazed what happens and I think you know if everybody went, if went around the room everybody could give an example of just how they met their partner how they got a sure. job how they took up a sport how they live in a certain country luck plays a big part of your life and it yeah it's a leap of faith sometimes that you just I'm just going to do this yeah. and it, you Not said knowing. it's courage yeah. and there is another speaker at the conference her name is Nadine Champion she's a martial artist and a speaker and she recently wrote for um, briefly from Accountancy Ireland about taking every step takes 10 seconds of bravery Just do it in 10-second intervals, and you'll eventually do it, Um, which I found actually very helpful, (laughs) and I hope other people did too. Um, Can I just say one other thing there? Yeah, Um, I read a book years ago called Feel the Fear Fear and Do It Anyway, Mm. and I thought it was a fantastic book, and it really pushed me out of my comfort zone. I bought it for my children, and I gave it to my daughter, read it, and she said, oh my God, and little things she was doing every day to try and feel the fear and do it anyway. So I think there's literature that can help you with some of these things. yeah. Um, before we wrap up today, are there is there any more advice about the future, whether it's the future of networking um, or the future of boards, any risks that members should really keep in mind when diving into this kind of, I don't want to call it a new world order, but um, things have changed. So what advice would you have for the members going forward? So in relation to boards, um, I would say that if you've been asked to join a board, uh, obviously do all your, your due diligence on the organisation and all the rest of it. Make sure it has a strategic plan, good governance. But I'd be looking very carefully at the values of the individuals around that table. Right. So, uh, and that's hard to understand sometimes. But it could be really hard to ascertain, yeah. Yeah, but you need to do your homework. So you need to be comfortable that if you end up in this boardroom, uh, you need to be comfortable with the values around the table. They don't need to be the same as yours. And in fact, mm. it's better if they're different, but there should be values that support that organization and you're comfortable working with. That can be very difficult to find out. Go ahead. Uh, well, I was going to say, I remember hearing a, a former Prime Minister of Australia saying, in the great race of life, Paul Keating actually, in the great race of life, always back self-interest because at least you know it'll be trying. Great and race. I think that's, <laughs> you know, if people realise that from my world of networking, it's in their interests because all the research shows that people who have strong and diverse networks live longer, kind of like that one, um, you know, are stronger mentally and physically, earn more money and are happier. Mm. I think they're all pretty powerful things. And I think the great crisis of our time, climate change is bad and ISIS and all the things are bad, but I actually think it's loneliness. I think that's the great crisis facing the Western world is loneliness. And your network is an antidote to loneliness. And building networks of diversity you know, will, get, will allow you to live a much longer and much happier life. I think they're pretty powerful reasons. Kingsley, do you know they've appointed a minister for loneliness in the UK? I 
didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. Last yeah. week they appointed a minister yeah. for loneliness, so that's the next. Sort of well, Dubai has had a minister for happiness for the last five yeah. years. Yeah. Bhutan is meant to be the happiest country in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And we thought it was Ireland. And then <laughs> um, the, the piece of advice I'd have is, I think you know to thine own self be true and I think really integrity is just so important because it means that you will look at everything through that lens and the other piece of advice I'd say to people um, just if somebody is, people are interested in getting on boards and so on is don't underestimate your own experience because I've seen that stuff that I would have thought was not relevant has become so relevant in terms of my contribution to, to a board. Thank you guys very much for being here today. I think that's all we have time for. Many thanks to Loretta, David, and Kingsley for being here. If you want to hear more from these three experts, please be sure to make your way to the Chartered Accountants Ireland Influence Leadership Conference on the 10th of May in Lyrath Estate in lovely Kilkenny. It should be a fantastic event for all members, whether you're in um, business or in practice. You can find more information about the event at charteredaccountants.ie forward slash influence. And you could also listen to more episodes of the Accountants Ireland podcast podcast at accountancyireland.ie or you can subscribe on iTunes. Thank you for listening and bye for now. Today's podcast was recorded by Tin Pot Productions. The producer is Daryl Morehouse and the series editor is Liz Riley. This program is published by Chartered Accountants Ireland. 